0: Open your Bibles, if you
1: would, to Exodus chapter 27. Exodus chapter 27. We get out of the tabernacle tonight and into the tabernacle yard. So, Definitely no parallels between the lawn furniture that the tabernacle had and what you have. Exodus 27, you shall make an altar of acacia wood, five cubits long and five cubits broad. The altar shall be square and its height shall be three cubits. You shall make its horns on its four corners. Its horns shall be of one piece with it and you shall overlay it with bronze. Also, you shall make its pans to receive its ashes and its shovels and its basins and its forks and its fire pans. You shall make all its utensils of bronze. You shall make a grate for it, a network of bronze, and on the network you shall make four bronze rings at its four corners. You shall put it under the rim of the altar beneath, that the network may be midway up the altar. You shall make poles for the altar, poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with bronze. The poles shall be put in the rings, and the poles shall be on the two sides of the altar to bear it. You shall make it hollow with boards, as it was shown you on the mountain, so shall they make it. You shall also make the court of the tabernacle. For the south side there shall be hangings for the court, woven of fine linen thread, one hundred cubits long for one side. And its twenty pillars and their twenty sockets shall be of bronze. The hooks of the pillars and their bands shall be of silver. Likewise, along the length of the north side there shall be hangings one hundred cubits long. With its twenty pillars and their twenty sockets of bronze, and the hooks of the pillars and their bands of silver." And along the width of the court on the west side shall be hangings of 50 cubits, with their 10 pillars and their 10 sockets. The width of the court on the east side shall be 50 cubits. The hangings on one side of the gate shall be 15 cubits, with their 3 pillars and their 3 sockets. And on the other side shall be hangings of 15 cubits, with their 3 pillars and their 3 sockets. For the gate of the court, there shall be a screen 20 cubits long, woven of blue and purple and scarlet yarn, and fine linen thread made by a weaver. It shall have four pillars and four sockets. All the pillars around the court shall have bands of silver. Their hooks shall be of silver and their sockets of bronze. The length of the court shall be one hundred cubits, the width fifty throughout, and the height five cubits, woven of fine linen thread and its sockets of bronze. All the utensils of the tabernacle for all its service, all its pegs, and all the pegs of the court shall be of bronze. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would open our hearts to understand your word. Give me the anointing of your spirit, the power of your word to proclaim your word to your hungry people. Free us from distraction, help us to know, to see that sacrifice is the way into your presence and that your presence is holy. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as with the last chapter, we're long on detail and short on drama, but there is nonetheless very much a spiritual lesson in this chapter, too. There's a physical item of furniture, the bronze altar, and there is basically a landscaping item, a fence that goes around the perimeter of the tabernacle. It's just a cloth fence, right? For a tent, you have a cloth fence, not a wooden fence. And this fence uh, defines the shape, the scope of the courtyard. The altar teaches that you can't enter God's presence without blood sacrifice. And the courtyard teaches or shows God's holiness by physically setting apart an area of territory to belong to him. The altar shows we can't enter God's presence without sacrifice, blood sacrifice. The courtyard shows what holiness is like, that there is an area that is God's area. The altar was unmissable. You approach the fence from the outside. You see merely a privacy fence. Uh, Interestingly enough, some construction sites and other uh, unsightly things In our country are required to have this same sort of cloth fence that can't be seen through. They're usually hanging on some kind of metal framework, but you would just see white cloth fence five cubits high or seven and a half feet high. A rather tall fence, too tall to see over, other than that there's some kind of gray building inside. But you come through this gate, this gate that's 20 cubits wide, it's a massive gate, and There is a bare courtyard. The only thing in the courtyard right in front of you is this massive flaming bronze altar. It doesn't say exactly where the altar was except that it was probably somewhere between the gate and the tabernacle and presumably placed dead center within the courtyard. So you open the gate. There's the tabernacle and right in front of you is this little blazing miniature hell. The thing stunk. We talked about that last week, but with all the blood and hair and guts and hides and everything that were constantly being burned on it, it wasn't like they had a touchless automatic car wash in the wilderness wanderings that they could run it through twice a day. It was filthy. And in addition, it had flames shooting out of it and animals burning on top of it yet you had to walk around it to get to the tabernacle door. This thing was not small. Five cubits by five cubits, seven and a half feet by seven and a half feet, roughly half the size of a short car. A Volkswagen bug or something like that. A little two-seater. This is a pretty large object. God is clearly making a statement with this flaming altar. And the statement is, there is no access to my presence without blood sacrifice. This is my house. You come in only through this flaming altar on the front steps. Death and fire consuming the dead are the way in which you, sinful priest, will come into my presence. The only way. There's no back door on the tabernacle. No side door. No way to get into the tabernacle without walking right by the flaming bronze altar of burnt offering. The lesson was unforgettable and it was taught in a very lavish way. The entire institution of the tabernacle was designed to employ one whole tribe. One twelfth of Israel. Eight and a half percent of the available people. That's a huge proportion of the workforce employed about this one small institution to show that only through the death and fiery consumption of an innocent lamb can you or I or anyone enter the presence of God. Now we need to familiarize this a little bit. Right, something that existed in the desert 3,500 years ago, it can be a little odd. But imagine that your next-door neighbor built an altar right on the sidewalk from the street to his front door. Now, he put this right in the middle of his yard, and you had to walk around it to get there. And every morning and evening, without fail, he sacrificed and burned up a lamb on this altar you would probably be listing your house for sale as fast as you could. Or imagine, even worse, here in the church, you open the door, you walk into the room, you walk into the hallway, and there is this giant flaming inferno with an animal carcass crackling on it. Every time you come in. Again, you would probably be running, not walking, back to the parking lot, getting in your car and saying, let's find a different church. Sacrifice is expensive. Sacrifice is unsanitary. Sacrifice is gross. Sacrifice is utterly opposed to the spirit and the climate of the modern world. And sacrifice is part of true religion. This is the reality of sin. Sin destroys. Sin wrecks. Sin ruins. Sin obliterates. And to deal with sin this blood sacrifice is necessary for the worshiper to come in, lay his hand on the head of the animal to identify with the animal and say, this animal represents me. Then slit its throat, toss the carcass on the fire. What better way than to say, what better way to drive into somebody's head, this is what my sin deserves. Not a small little peccadillo where God says, Oh, oh well, you're forgiven, and waves his hand. Not an actual dastardly deed that can only be wiped out in one gruesome way. As one commentator noted, we tend to think of sacrifice as barbaric, as primitive, as something outmoded that the world no longer needs. Why do we think that? Well, the bottom line is we think no one should give up anything of value for something so intangible as a religious benefit. That kind of logic privileges earth over heaven, the material over the spiritual, the flesh over the soul. And as this commentator pointed out, the society with no organized religion, the society without sacrifice the place where human beings are regarded as soulless animals that is the truly barbaric society not the one with animals crackling on pyres but the one where no one would dream of giving up something they wanted for the sake of spiritual progress the altar teaches In the clearest possible way, there is no life in the presence of God, no access at all to the presence of God without a sacrificial death. And to drive the lesson home, you don't just kill the animal, but you burn it up. A whole burnt offering, the entire thing, other than a few parts of the guts, goes on the fire goes on the fire and burns until it's gone. The altar teaches this lesson. So we're going to get in Hebrews in our morning service pretty soon into the New Testament's teaching that Christ is our sacrifice. He is the once for all sacrifice. We no longer have to kill the animal, throw it on the pyre. That. Doesn't mean that sacrifice is outmoded or barbaric, no longer necessary. It simply means that it's it's been done. That debt is paid. That victim was totally consumed by the fire of God wrath, God's wrath, and he lives again to make intercession for us. Well, if we back out a little bit from the altar, we see the courtyard, we see the fence. Pretty basic. Linen cloth, uh, thick sheets, hanging on wooden posts, just like every other fence you've seen, except that it's not wood, it's not steel. It's just sheets tacked to posts stuck up in the desert somewhere. It's a fairly long fence by household standards. 100 cubits by 50 cubits, that is 150 feet by 75 feet. Decent sized yard. But what does this fence teach us? The fence teaches us about holiness. You've probably heard that holiness means being set apart. That's not entirely true, but that is a good proxy for what holiness is. Holiness, at the most basic level, refers to purpose. To be holy is to exist for a particular task. I, use the example, I like to use the example of the holy rag that can be found in some kitchens. There's the all-purpose rag that you can wipe anything you want with. Then there's the holy rag that certain housekeepers keep at a certain place, and that's only for hands or only for dishes. And woe be to you if you grab the holy rag and wipe the dog's rear end with the holy rag. You will be in big trouble because the purpose of the holy rag is not to tackle the dog. It is not to scrub the floor. Is not to wash the windows. The holy rag is only for a particular purpose. The, art, the altar, the courtyard fence teaches the same lesson. This land, enclosed by this fence, is holy ground. This land is set apart from common use. Its purpose has been changed. No longer is it just dirt, there to glorify God by being dirt. It is holy dirt there to glorify God by being the foundation on which the acts of worship, the ongoing Levitical liturgy, takes place. (laughs) Now we no longer have sacred spaces set apart by a physical barrier. But the truth of holiness remains as the truth of sacrifice remains. We become holy not by ducking through a curtain And standing on enclosed ground, we become holy by going to God through Christ and asking him to change our purpose and to help us fulfill it. What can you learn about God's holiness from a white linen fence? You can learn above all that it is real. God is truly holy. You can learn that access to God is dependent on holiness There is no access to God without holiness as there is no access to God without sacrifice. The Hebrew says holiness is that without which no one will see the Lord. If your purpose is not specifically to glorify and serve God, you don't come into God's presence. Only those who are fully dedicated to Him come into His presence. The things closest to God have to exist for Him and no one else. The tabernacle was not equally for God and for Aaron. Right? This is not a roommate situation or a condominium, Latin word which literally means house with. right? No, this is only, strictly, God's house. The tabernacle was all for God. The fence portion, the courtyard, was not for God and the Levites. It was all for God. And in the same way, if you and I are called to be holy then our whole life has to be all for God. Your life can't be for God and football. For God and yourself. My life is for God and my favorite fun. Or for God and my addiction. No. You're called to holiness like the courtyard, which means you belong entirely to God. You are saved through sacrifice, Like the altar. Christ is the sacrifice, but he didn't die for nothing. He died to make us holy, to change our purpose, living for ourselves, for sin and Satan, so that we would instead live for him, obeying him, walking with him, living with him, being with him. Jesus wasn't consumed by the fire of God's wrath so that we could sin and stay away from God's presence. He died so that we could be righteous and come into God's presence. He did once for all the job was the altar was supposed to do. And in so doing, he tore the fence down. Not to signal that holiness is no longer necessary, but to signal that holiness is freely available. Holiness is still necessary. The difference with the New Covenant is not That if you're holy, or that now everything is holy. Nobody needs to serve God in a special way. The difference with the New Covenant is that anyone can come to Christ and be made holy. Now you could come in in the Old Covenant, but there was not a regular process of initiation the way there is within the Christian church. You don't have to offer a bowl anymore. But you still need to offer yourself. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. Through Christ, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access by one spirit to the Father. For those who don't believe in Christ, in a very real sense, the fence is still standing. They see a plain linen fence. They don't see the most glorious thing that is in the world, the place, the residence, the house, of God Himself. Non-believers can't come into the presence of God and don't want to come into the presence of God. But for those in Christ, the fence and altar alike have vanished and the way is open. The door into the throne room is ajar. Come and welcome to the Father, to the throne of God and the Lamb. The blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin. A courtyard fence can't make us holy, but Jesus' blood took away sin and made us holy. So come through him to the Father. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us in the altar to see the depths of our own depravity, the reality of our own sin, how gory and yucky and filthy it is. And help us also in the altar to see the glory and magnitude of Christ and the sacrifice that He made for us, the death that He died once for all, the life that He lives now, that He lives for you in perfect holiness. Father, thank You that we are not just in the courtyard, but that we are in the Holy of Holies, brought in there by the great High Priest, our leader and Savior. Lord, we pray that You would help us to be in your presence always, to be those pillars who never leave the house of God but are planted there, ever full of sap and green, to declare that the Lord is upright. There is no unrighteousness in him. We thank you that the altar and the tabernacle already proclaimed that, and so did the courtyard. In Jesus' name, amen.